You're listening to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. A podcast for women who've been betrayed by their intimate partner and want to turn their devastation into an invitation to reclaim themselves and their worth. Tune in weekly so you can start making sense of it all and learn how to be okay on the inside, no matter what goes on on the outside. Download your free Betrayal Recovery Toolkit at BetrayalRecoveryGuide.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you been struggling lately? Relationship issues impact every area of your life. When I found out about my husband's infidelity, I was so devastated. I could barely function. Sleeping was impossible because I couldn't shut off my brain. Eating was a challenge because I felt nauseous all the time, and for the first month or so, everything felt pointless. Whether you're having trouble sleeping, feeling hopeless, or just can't focus, BetterHelp is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help. You can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network that gives you access to help that might not be available in your area. Just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you'll be matched with a therapist in under 24 hours. Then you can schedule secure video and phone sessions. Plus, you can exchange unlimited messages, and everything you share is completely confidential. I know that confidentiality was important for me, especially early on when I couldn't even get my own mind wrapped around what was happening. And it was so comforting to be able to speak with someone candidly about everything I was going through to validate that what I was feeling and experiencing was completely normal. You can request a new therapist at no additional charge anytime. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Special offer to flaunt, create a life you love after infidelity and betrayal listeners. You get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash flaunt. That's betterhelp.com slash flaunt. Flaunt, F-L-A-U-N-T. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast. Hello and welcome to Flaunt. Find your sparkle and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal. I am Laura Cheadle, and today we've got a really interesting guest. Um, His name is Trey Malicote, and I'm going to have him tell you a little bit more about himself later on. But the reason I asked him to come onto my show is because he knows trauma. He understands trauma. And how I found him was when I was searching for more resources for myself as a coach, as somebody who deals with infidelity and betrayal. As you know, if you are in my Facebook group, if you listen to my podcast, if you've worked with me before, I always say, reach out to somebody who is trauma-informed, trauma-aware. Reach out to somebody who understands trauma. Infidelity and betrayal is traumatic. And there are great people out there. But unless they understand trauma, 
chances are they are not going to help you in the way that you need to be helped. And in service of that, I am always seeking to further my education around trauma so I can better pinpoint what is a traumatic reaction? What is outside of my scope of practice? Where can I be of service to you? So with that, we are going to have Trey Malakote talk today about trauma, what it means, and all things trauma. So welcome to the show, Trey. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you so much, Laura. It, I've got to tell you, it is so fantastic to see the work you're doing, and I'm really very, very grateful to, for the opportunity to talk about trauma, to hopefully help your audience understand what it's all about. So let me lay a little bit of foundation about who I am first of yes, all. Yes, okay? please. That's exactly what I was hoping <clears throat> When I was a younger man in the late 90s, I saw an opportunity and it was really pretty simple. My best friend was in the Columbine High School shooting and as a result, he asked for support. I was already a therapist at the time, but I realized after dealing with Columbine and seeing all of these school shootings popping up all over the country, I said, I think there's going to be a need for trauma services. And I kind of fell into it. Maybe that was the best decision I've ever made. Now, over the last 25 years, I've done all sorts of things ranging from teaching on the university level, writing curriculum for programs, uh, individual one-on-one -on -one work with people. And in my processes, I have learned that actually, and I, I'm, I'm about to say something pretty bold, the entire mental health institution establishment has lost the mark because they don't think about trauma enough. And when you really get right down to it, I believe that trauma undergirds almost every bit of dysfunction we have emotionally, relationally, spiritually, intellectually. So I'm so glad to talk about trauma. And that's a little bit about me. I live in Denver. I work all over the country. In fact, I work internationally and I write, I teach, I do intensives with people. And my whole focus is really helping people master where they've been so that they can create lives of joy, peace, and purpose. Okay, I'll take a breath. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. And I just have to say, I agree wholeheartedly with you that trauma underpins so many different things because we have trauma, whether we recognize that it's trauma or not, we have trauma. And something that I also want to talk about is, and we'll just go right here. What is trauma? Because sometimes people will say, well, because I wasn't in the Columbine High School shooting, I guess I don't have trauma. Because I had a good childhood, because I had a good marriage, I didn't have trauma. So talk to us about what is trauma? Big T trauma, little T trauma. What are we even talking about when we talk about trauma? Okay, great. Thank you. I so appreciate that because trauma is a catchword right now. And frankly, everybody in the world thinks they're traumatized. And I gotta tell you, if you lose your keys or you have a flat tire, you're not traumatized. You're just having a bad day or a bad five minutes. Now, the way I look at trauma, trauma is an experience that causes a sensorial blow to the body, to the mind that is so overwhelming that we don't understand how to actually manage it. Okay, now that sounds kind of academic. Here's what it really comes down to. 
Trauma is an experience that forces us into fight or flight response. It activates the limbic system. It puts us into a chemical whirlwind and all of a sudden we feel powerless and unable to function the way we had previously. Now trauma is, is it runs the spectrum, you know, on one level, just having, you know, seeing a death that can be traumatizing. Um, experiencing someone holding you at gunpoint that's traumatizing going through a relationship do you know the work you do laura around infidelity and betrayal there are elements of that that are traumatic all the time abuse violence what we see on tv and and the thing that i do know is that trauma is so pervasive that now we're looking at it and we're saying we better figure this stuff out so Trauma is not um, feeling like you can't handle things emotionally. You're just emotionally overwhelmed. Trauma is not feeling paralyzed because you're sad or anxious. Those are normal things. Trauma shakes you to the core. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. So we've defined what trauma is. It's something that shakes you to the core. It's something that renders you unable to function the way that you did before. So what does that mean going forward? Because so many of the women listening to this podcast will say, I can't go on. I'm too traumatized. This has been too big of a blow. I can't go on. And here's the thing that I know. I know that we will go on. It's a matter of will we go on in a healthy manner or will we go on in a way that leaves us dysfunctional? Mm. So let's talk about those two paths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, first of all, when someone has a traumatizing experience, it, it shakes you. It shakes all your senses. You don't know what you're seeing or hearing or tasting or touching or smelling. It creates pervasive fear automatically the fight or flight response kicks into gear and we move into survival state now that's innate to human beings we have our senses because they keep us alive but what happens with trauma is we move into an experience that throws us into survival state and all of a sudden we start to adapt to that fear to that powerlessness to that uncertainty now that being said, what I want you to think about is that trauma activates something that's incredibly primal within us. But as we make meaning out of that trauma, those experiences, what did it mean? Why did it happen? How did it happen? What, you know, it, from existential to practical, when we're making meaning, we actually create a new identity. So who a person was pre-trauma and who a person is post-trauma they're not the same people. Now, oddly, people think they are the same people. They've just had a really bad experience, but right. that's not how it unfolds. So in the creation of this identity coming out of fear, what we're really doing is saying to ourselves on a subconscious level, how do I keep myself safe? How do I maintain an, a, a sense that I'm powerful and capable? And how do I function emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically, et cetera? Now, I said one pivotal word in there, subconscious. What happens is the identity begins to develop, the trauma identity, 
and you develop all sorts of rules about how to function in the world. But these rules are not a conscious decision. It's a subconscious belief. For instance, and I, I do want to clarify that today, I know I'm going to say some things. And if I trigger some folks, I'm sorry about that. That's not my intention. But to use to talk about trauma, I've got to give you an example, right? So when I think about that identity, if a woman is attacked or sexually assaulted, who that woman thought she was prior to that assault is different than who she is after that assault. Now, she's going to look at her body differently, her relationships, her social connections, her sense of identity, her sense of permanence, all sorts of things. And as a result, she's going to create stories and beliefs. For instance, all men are unsafe. Mm -hmm. All men are a threat. All men need to be defended against. I'm not safe with men. If I'm in an environment with certain type of men, I'm, I'm going to freak out, right? And it's these subconscious rules that lay the foundation for the entire identity. So what happens is people come out of a trauma, they develop this new identity, it's undergirded by enormous subconscious beliefs, and in the process of trying to heal, what we typically do is heal the experience, we don't rewrite the subconscious narrative and heal the wound of the soul. That's what we've got to do. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise you move forward with all of these beliefs that are truly not serving you and they are not necessarily even accurate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, let me give you an example of a client that I had that really illustrates this so perfectly. Now, as a therapist, you know, in graduate school, we, we, we learn things like somebody's going to eventually suicide, so you better be prepared for it. And, you know, we're trying to anticipate any type of problem that we'd see in a room. I thought I had it all dialed in. The woman came into my office. I began to ask her questions. And when she sat down on the couch, she had a bag of pills that maybe 30, 30 different types of pills. And as I was doing the intake, you know, what are all the pills about? They were respiratory treatments. They were anxiety treatments, depression treatments. And I started thinking, okay, there's a correlation between her meds and what happened to her. Yeah. In the process of peeling the onion with her, and, you know, I'm telling you this in an accelerated way. This took weeks to do this. Oh, absolutely. In the process of unpeeling the experience with her, What she disclosed to me was that at a certain point when she was assaulted, she was hogtied. And as a result, every time certain things happened, and I don't need to go into the detail, but every time something happened to her physically, it caused her to not breathe. Right. Her brain, her subconscious mind then said, okay, the systems are messed up, so we better medically address that, you know, the the body is sick, basically. Right. So in that process of working with her, we dug deeply into all of the stories she had. Now, here's the other interesting piece of her. When she, pre-sexual assault, she weighed 125 pounds. When she came in to see me, she was well over 350. Oh, yeah. And so fast forward. Six or seven years later, I saw her and she was back to about 140 pounds. And in my process of inquiry, I said, what really shifted? 
and she said, I didn't realize that I was putting on this armor, armor of thought, armor physically, armor spiritually, and all we did was peel off her subconscious armor, and that allowed her to heal. Now, that's an extreme example, but we all have these stories that, and you know, when you think about, for instance, if you have stories about men, those stories influence how you interact with other women, your society, your workmates, anybody that's male. Yeah. It lays the foundation. Even how you see politics or music or movies, it all is influenced. Every yeah. bit of it, right? Yeah everything. Yeah. And like that, having that understanding as a professional, whether it's a therapist or a coach or a counselor or a clergy person, like if you understand trauma can create that armoring, trauma will change your identity. Trauma will cause you to rewrite the stories, the narratives, your beliefs, your feelings, the way you're showing up in the world. When you understand that as a professional, then you will approach treatment and that person, I think, with a different level of curiosity, sure. a different level of understanding, and you will start digging deeper in your terms, peel the onion, in my terms, strip it down. As opposed to somebody who doesn't understand trauma, they might be treating the person as they see them on, your, on the face. You're right. someone with medical issues. Right. You're not yeah. someone with medical issues. You are someone with trauma. Mm -hmm. With an experience you don't know how to make meaning of. Yeah. So when I think about the work that I do with people, there are a few things that I think are really pivotal. First of all, when somebody has had a traumatic experience, they need to have a sense of safety and security out of that experience and living life on a day-to-day -day basis. So safety yes. and security is the first thing. The second piece of the equation is that people need an opportunity to vent their experiences, ventilate and be validated. So yes. what happened? And I'm so sorry that happened to you. Being heard. And then yeah. the third piece of this is to be equipped to predict and prepare for things that will create fear once again. Okay. Now, yes. with that, though, what we want to do is look at how that punk that person has functioned and there are layers and layers of the analysis that i do in fact i'm looking at 20 different data points at any given time when i'm analyzing someone but nevertheless what we want to do is is look at how the trauma has affected them how it's showing up emotionally physically spiritually intellectually but we're not treating it on a surface level. We've got to get down under it and figure out why it's driving the bus the way that it's driving it. And yes. when I think about if somebody said, Trey, what's the single most important thing that you've learned as a, as a, a traumatologist and someone who thinks about trauma? And it comes down to one thing. We have been indoctrinated away from bearing witness and holding and hearing the stories of others. And when you deal with trauma in your life, there are experiences that you desperately yearn for someone to simply hear, to hold, to bear witness to the story. Now, I don't want to diminish it and say, that's all you've got to do. Just tell me the story and it'll all be good. What I want you to think about is that traumatized people need to 
have the opportunity to be fully heard and they also need the opportunity to have their subconscious beliefs mined up, explored, and then given a path on how to create a new identity, a new life, a new purpose outside of that. Yes. Right? Yes. So much to say around this. So, 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 so much. First of all, for anybody who is not necessarily understanding or knowing what we mean when we talk about subconscious versus conscious beliefs, I'm just going to take a little detour and throw this in. Conscious is something like, I am going to go pick up my glass of water and I'm going to take a sip of water. And you think the thought, I'm thirsty, I'm going to have some water and you just pick it up. Mm-hmm. Subconscious is not something that you're thinking, not something that you're self-directing. It's just a response that you have and you're not really quite sure why you have it. Like sometimes people who smoke, they'll say, well, consciously, I wanted to quit smoking. I understand the health risks. Uh, my friends and family don't like how I smell. All of a sudden, I literally just look down and there's a cigarette in my hand. I have no idea how it got there. Right. There's these layers of belief and we can't just think ourselves out of it. And it's not that we're not smart enough. It's not that we don't have willpower. It's that operating system that is running the show. And we do get hijacked by that. So I I just wanted to put a little bookmark in here and talk a little bit about the difference between subconscious and conscious actions and beliefs and habits. So if you've ever... Yeah, I'm sorry, please. No, I was just going to say, if you've ever not known why you've done something... We've all said that. I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I feel this way. It doesn't right. make sense. Right. The way I look at it, and you you beautifully articulated it, the subconscious mind is, some say, responsible for up to 90% of our functioning. I actually think that's very, very true. And it's autonomic behaviors, like you're saying, picking up a glass, driving somewhere. But it's also the stories that we live with. The subconscious is the silent protector, the warning system, the protector that thinks it knows how to keep you safe. And your subconscious will consistently override your conscious until you liberate the subconscious, the subconscious. Now, while ago I was talking about the institution of mental health. And one of the reasons that I don't call myself a therapist is because in the world of mental health, we we look at someone, they come in, we say, what's wrong with you? They say, I'm anxious, I'm having a relationship problem, I have a substance problem, I'm depressed, whatever it may be. And that's what we try to deal with. Well, let's give you some tools on managing your anxiety. Let's talk through your communication problems. And we're going down about four inches into that person's experience. When in fact, let's take a relationship issue, for instance. How many people have relationship problems that show up over and over and over and over and over the same pattern over and over and we scratch our heads and we say i've tried so hard to not do that why do i still feel so stuck that's because your silent protector is driving your bus but you don't even know they're driving it right so what we want to do is help people Give Well, actually, frankly, my entire life career has been focused on giving people the tools they need to liberate their subconscious. And if you can mine it up, understand it, change your belief structure, make new meaning and create a different life, that's the fastest path to joy, peace and purpose. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, that's why I do hypnotherapy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it targets the subconscious. It's a lot faster. If it was so easy that we could just decide to do something or decide to get over it, if I were just to tell people, you know what? Yeah, your partner had an affair. Just choose to get over it. Yep, you're right. I'm choosing to get over it. Bam, it's done. Wouldn't that be nice? But it's not that. I mean, yes, right. we first have to make the choice. I'm always telling my people, you do have to choose. You do have to choose. And if you choose to get over it, then like you were saying, there's tools that you can use to liberate that subconscious. And you could spend 10 years in talk therapy. And again, nothing is wrong with talk therapy. The mental health profession has got a lot of positives, but sometimes you could spend 10 years in talk therapy or a couple of months really doing some of the subconscious deeply focused work and have a faster result. Absolutely. Well, let me drill that down and explain the function. I have said the subconscious is the silent protector. Yeah. Here's how powerful it is. We have a subconscious belief system and that subconscious belief system is created by how we were raised, the way our parents indoctrinated us. And here's the secret. Our parents, as they raise us, teach us their fears fears about other people, fears about society, fears about politics, religion, people, you name it. Right. That's one way that we develop our belief structures. The second way is through experiences. And if you have good experiences, then you have a little bit of memory that says, oh, that felt good. If you have bad experiences, you say, I don't ever want to feel that again. And before you know it, you've got an elaborate set of rules. Now, let's make a note because at one point I want to tell you how we crack those rules. Okay. Perfect. That's the first piece. Where do your rules come from? Your beliefs. Now, those are the subconscious foundation. What happens as a result of that is every thought you have, every emotion you have, and every action you have ties directly back to that core belief. Mm-hmm. So here's how it works. Subconscious beliefs drive the thoughts, the cognitive thoughts, the conscious thoughts, which drive the emotions, conscious or unconscious, not subconscious, unconscious, right. which drive the actions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. And the behaviors and the emotions and the thoughts incestually reinforce the subconscious belief yes so if you want to deal with your emotions or how you act you have to you're actually wasting your time you have to get to what those core beliefs are now let me take it a step deeper i think given the population you work with and that i work with we know one thing about women In fact, I'll generalize this to everyone in society today, but specifically women are indoctrinated to hate themselves. Mm -hmm. Women are taught that they're imperfect, unworthy, unattractive, less than. There's a constant social indoctrination that says you aren't as good as your male peers. Right. As a result of that, women grow up and they say, "I'm, I'm just not quite as good. And they then put themselves in positions. They think I'm not as smart. I'm not as powerful. I'm not as capable. And they feel oppressed, neglected, minimized, denied. And they 
behave in a submissive way or a retaliatory way, whatever it may be. But that shows the lineage. If you yes, want to fix that, you got to get to the unworthiness. Right. And I want to hop in on that, too, because I'm sure some listeners are pushing back on that and saying, no, I don't. But here's what I want to say around that. On the conscious level, you might be saying, I am worthy. I am smart. I deserve equal pay. It's the patriarchy. That's your conscious voice. Mm -hmm. But we still have this entire multi-thousand-year-old history of women being oppressed, of women not being safe. So, right. yes, consciously, you might be saying, no, I was raised by a feminist. I am a feminist. I actually believe women are better than men. Right. Yes, and that is that cognitive dissonance that underlying all of your empowered beliefs is this whole history of it's not really so, it's not really safe, it's not really, and that creates internal conflict as well. Absolutely. In fact, I'm so glad you brought that up because the bulk of the women that I work with typically are very high performers, high, high success, and would be the people that would say, there's not a man that controls me or has any, you know, but when we get right down to it, in fact, I was just on a call with a client this morning her mother set such a standard for how she was supposed to act and how smart she was supposed to be and the type of husband that would make her feel valued and the type of house and the type of kids that she spent 50 years of her life playing a role in a performance mm -hmm. of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And when we think on a conscious level, we can see it. On a subconscious level, we don't even know we're moving that direction now let me give you another example that i think will take it about i take it out of the gender orientation when i came out as a gay man i was sitting in a boardroom i was one of eight presidents of a large regional healthcare company and i remember sitting in my early days i would be sitting at this boardroom table with the cfo and ceo and all these presidents and there was a little thing inside of me that said, you're not strong, you're not as strong, you're not as masculine, you're not as capable, you've got to try harder, don't take any shit from anybody, you better prove yourself, you better mark the territory, they're going to abuse you, they do hate you, they are homophobic, they do the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And one day I, you know, someone made a joke about me needing to wear high heels and it triggered something. And I spun around. I said, I don't know who you think you're talking to, but you better check yourself on that. And then he looked at me, and said, Trey, I wasn't even talking about you. And I wasn't even inferring anything. And why do you jump so fast? That's a subconscious step. Right? Yeah. Yeah. To heal, I had to say all those stories I've been taught about what it means to be a gay man are untrue. Yes. And untrue. you can't. Yeah. And you can't just say to yourself they are untrue. You have to know it at that deep subconscious level. Absolutely. Now, yeah. Now, you said something about, you know, you turning and you having that response. One of the again, it's a buzz phrase. Well, that's a trauma response. That's a trauma response. That's a trauma response. Explain what is a trauma response? How can listeners know if they are having a, I mean, again, trigger is a buzzword. Yeah. If they're having a trigger, if they're having a trauma response, if they're just angry, give them some tools to understand and sort 
what does that even mean to have a trauma response? What does that even really, really, truly mean to have a trigger? And like you were saying, but the difference between you're not traumatized if you lose your car keys. Right. What is the difference if a woman sees a text from her husband's affair partner and it's five years down the road and she feels emotion? What is a trauma response? What is a trigger? And what is just, wow, it's normal to have some unsettling emotions in that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What a beautiful question. And I will tell you that I'm about to get inflammatory. I'm about to say some things that would probably get me banned from TikTok or Instagram. (laughs) And I would be chastised. Here's what it comes down to. We now live in a social cultural environment that embraces emotional irresponsibility. Let me use an example. If I say to you, I'm going to give you a trigger warning about what you can and cannot say around me, I'm being emotionally irresponsible. I don't need to give you a warning about how to act around me. I need to heal myself and manage my own triggers. Right. So we do live in a society where people are saying, you've got to be you know, so sensitive to everyone. What I propose is that we should be sensitive and kind and, and um, compassionate and understanding. But, but if you expect another person to adapt the way they communicate and the way they live because it makes you uncomfortable, you're the problem, not that person. You're the problem, right? right. So that being said, a trauma response, here's how it breaks down. A true trauma response will instigate a sense of fear that reactivates the fight or flight mechanism. It might cause a a panic attack, short respirations, rapid heart rate, all sorts of different things. It brings about that fight or flight response. Most people do not have trauma responses unless they're within the first year or two years of that original trauma. And then that's also predicated on how extreme the trauma was, what kind of trauma it was, so many factors, okay? So most of the time, you're not having a trauma response. Now, a trigger is something you see, hear, smell, taste, or touch that's similar to the original trauma experience. So going back to the example I was giving you, the when, and by the way, the sense of smell is the most power and predom- powerful and predominant, When I asked that client, the woman that had been attacked and hogtied, I said, what do you remember smelling? And she said, oh, that's clear. I can smell beer and bad breath. Now, if she were to smell beer and bad breath now, it would still trigger her back into a memory. So the trigger is, oh, my God, I've just been activated back into fear, but I'm not having a physiological response, but I'm remembering some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not comfortable to remember it. It's not comfortable. Right, right. Now, we have triggers every single day. Yes. And we can't expect somebody else to manage our triggers. We We need to know what and how brings them about and how, when we are triggered, we navigate that, right? So, okay, so trauma response, triggers, and then what about just getting your feelings hurt? Little bit out of shape, you shouldn't have said that, that was rude, you're a jerk, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That is normal emotional functioning. Yes. 
Now, what I get frustrated about is that society today tells us that we're saying some of the same stuff that I'm saying. Everyone has a trauma experience. Yes, to some degree. Some right. people have more significant trauma than others. That's true. But when it comes to emotional responsibility, we're actually teaching people to be irresponsible. Right. Right. So what we want to do is move to a place where we say, if I'm thrown back into fear, how am I going to ground myself? If I'm being triggered, what am I going to do to ground myself? And if I'm having an emotional response, what am I going to do to navigate it? Right. Okay. And what I like about that too, is it is two parts. If you were rebuilding the relationship, if you were wanting to move forward with the same partner, you can have that give and take. These are the things that are triggering for me now. These are the right. things that are re-traumatizing for me now. These are the things that are hurting my feelings now. So you get that communication and that understanding. So early on, it can be a heightened level of sensitivity. It can be a heightened level of awareness. And you can each take care of the other person because you love the other person, because right. you want to care for the other person. And then as your skills grow and you can manage your triggers better and you can communicate better, it starts becoming a little bit less so because we don't want to live our entire life with this yeah. response. You know, what you're describing is really, you know, I do think in the context of a relationship, it's very important to have your partner know when you might go down the highway of, of triggering. Right. Now, that's a communication thing. What I want to invite people to do is to remember that when we are truly being triggered or revisiting the trauma, there is a physiological effect in our bodies. And part of the reason that partners continue to they get stuck and they can't seem to get beyond the things that their therapist has told them to fix, that's because they are physiologically triggering each other. And as a result, they click into their limbic system, their monkey brain. And then we try to have thoughtful, reasonable conversations with our limbic system trying to keep us safe. It no. would be better when you feel triggered in the context of a relationship. It would be better for you to stop, to check in, to say, I need about five minutes just to reground myself. I'm reacting now and I need to figure out why and how. I want you to know that I'm going to do this work for about five minutes and then we'll re-engage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or if you are both triggered into a limbic fight or flight situation, here's the crazy thing. Once fight or flight is initiated, it, the, the, the neurochemical processes stay in your body for at least 24 hours. So it's a long you've been time triggered. You're not going to have a more thoughtful question, I um, mean, conversation two hours later. You really need to say, we will revisit this tomorrow. Okay. Thank you for saying that because when you find out about your partner's affair, there's a couple of things that I hear all the time. They want to, people want to figure it out. I wanted to figure it out. I wanted the phone. I wanted the email. I wanted the text. I wanted Facebook. Like you flood yourself because you want to figure it out. And then you start in on the questions. What about this? And what did this mean? And, and it ramps up and up and up and up. And then people will say to me, 
okay, it's been six months. It's been a week, a year, whatever. And you know what he said to me? And it doesn't match what he originally told me. And it's like, but it's my guess that when you were originally having these conversations, you were both so flooded. You were both so overwhelmed. You were probably speaking, not that he's intentionally lying to you. Maybe he is. But in so many circumstances, people aren't intentionally lying to you. They aren't. They're just giving you what they can because it's, it's a survival thing. And they're not thinking either. And stuff is coming out. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're describing the seeking of information, the checking of the social media, watching and monitoring and all of that. There are two things that are going on psychologically. One is you're trying to reassure yourself when you're in a state of fear. Right. If I keep checking the phone and I don't see another message, then I'm okay. That's illusionary. That's illusionary. The other thing, the other reason we do that though it's a form of what's called rehearsal. And so we will check and check and check and check and check so many times until we can finally take a breath and say, they've finally changed. Right. But, <laughs> but here's no. the problem, right? <laughs> here's the problem. People that have been traumatized have got to learn how to release their past. Mm-hmm. You are not the same person. And even in the context of a relationship, if you've had infidelity and betrayal in your life, you had a pre-infidelity relationship and you have a post-infidelity relationship. Absolutely. Relationship with yourself and relationship with the other person. 100%. Yeah. Now, the problem is, though, that we start collecting data and then we start monitoring. And effectively, what we do with our partners is we say, okay, let's heal. But for us to heal, I need to fix you in a certain right. way of thinking, behaving, acting, etc. I'll give you an example. I'm working with a couple right now. And she, when they first got together, he talked about her, you know, all of his proclivities, the coke he used, the girls he dated, the how much of a player he was. And he, you know, which by the way, couples should never, ever, ever, ever talk about the junk of their previous relationships on the first date of a new relationship. That's insanity. But he did all of this and she, because she had been abused in a previous relationship, gathered all this data. And then they began to have relational difficulties between the two of them that looked similar to the information she had gathered. And as a result, she then, it's called confirmation bias. She then started saying, okay, I see that he's about to call a hooker. I see that he's about to get stupid. I see, and so therefore we've got a bigger problem. And effectively she created the problem. Right. But he created the problem originally, thinking that he should disclose his proclivities. People don't need to know. Leave the past alone. Get out of it. Right? Right. Yeah. There's so there's so many different layers around trauma, around relationships, around human nature. And we all want something simple. Sure. You know, we all do. And and that's the other thing too. Like one of the one of my taglines, one of the things that I 
what my promises in my coaching programs is to help people be okay on the inside, even when things aren't okay on the outside. Because like that, you know, you talk about that safety. We live in an inherently unsafe world and it's too bad. It's really too bad. And we can take steps to control our environment and we can take steps to protect ourselves. But look at the COVID pandemic. You know, there's things that happen that we have no control over. We just don't. Mm -hmm. And we can make ourselves crazy trying to control the other person and trying Mm -hmm. to set up rules for them and boundaries for them. Or we can really start looking inward and realizing, what can I do to become healthier and stronger and more capable myself? And also around that, there are certain ways and times and places where we all will break. Mm -hmm. I cannot constantly keep myself regulated. My job as a human is not to be 100% regulated 100% of the time. That's not going to happen. So how do we learn to tumble? How do we learn to roll? How do we learn to be okay not being okay? Beautiful question. The first place I would start is with one simple statement. You make me feel. Okay, now let's dissect that a little bit. You make me feel angry. You make me feel unseen. You make me feel unworthy. You make me feel stupid. On a surface level, there might be communication and relational dynamics that lead, that lend to you feeling certain ways. But fundamentally, you, we cannot make someone else, someone else cannot make us feel a certain way. We choose to feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. because it's familiar or because it's subconscious. You mm-hmm. make me feel so insignificant. Well, then you need to heal the wound of insignificance. Now, you can say that to your partner. When you say that, I I trigger and it makes me feel small. But I also want you to know, sweetheart, that I'm working on that. Yes. Right? Yes. That's the first place we start. And then you said it best, Laura, the, peop- the struggle that most people have is that they, um, first of all, they don't allow themselves the time to look inward. The mm-hmm. doom scrolling, TV, Netflix, et cetera, so much activity, so many people. We have a, a scarcity of silence right now. And in order to really make sense of those deeper emotional struggles that we have, we have to turn off the noise. So nobody makes you feel a certain way. And you got to turn off the noise. Now, the third piece, and this really, if you'll indulge me, let me tell you how I came about this. I was trying to figure out how to really understand my belief systems, knowing beliefs drive thoughts, drive emotions, drive actions. And so how could I do that? Well, I decided to go to the mall. I got one of those great big 17-inch cookies, a 78-ounce Dr. Pepper, 4,000 calories sitting in front of me. And I sat right on a major thoroughfare where everyone was walking by the food court. I turned on my audio recorder on my phone and then all I did was speak what I was thinking. That woman's hair looks like a hot mess. Those kids should be better behaved. Why would he ever choose those shoes? Did she really think that bag and that? And I know I'm sounding really critical, God, she stinks. She smells stupid. He's dumb. All of these opinions. 
And then I thought, whoa, I went back and listened to it. And the pervasive question was, why did it matter? Okay, now mm -hmm. here's the interesting thing. The opinions we hold about everyone and everything are nothing more than conditions, judgments, expectations that we hold for ourselves. Yes. So if you want to heal, you've got to heal your own rules, conditions, judgments, and expectations. Yes. And then when you do that, you'll show up way, way differently, right? Mm -hmm. What you do is you allow people the space to actually allow the, you allow people to love you and show up in a way that is innate to who they are, not how you need them to love you. Right. 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 Now, Here's the fourth thing. When we say, I need this from you in order to feel whole, you've lost your mind. Totally. You don't need anything from another human. And the sooner you can get clear with the fact that you came in alone and you'll go out alone and part of it, you no matter how many people you have around you, you're still alone. So do what you need to do to create comfort with aloneness and not look to the external world to give you validation or make you feel pretty or make you feel smart or make you feel none of that matters right and effectively when we think about standing in our power standing in our power is not relegating our power to other people no nope. it's saying this is who i am in this four foot square and i am going to live it and i'm not going to apologize that's, yeah. that's not licensed to be a jerk well, no, that's living authentically, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I want to wrap up with this little piece and I want to make sure that it comes out the way that I intend. Mm -hmm. Yes to everything that you've said. We can only control us. We can only do us. We can only heal us. Looking at your partner, <laughs> which is, that's just why I was like, I, I don't want to, shift that focus, but looking at your partner, can you see how the person who betrayed you, how the person who hurt you is just a flawed, traumatized, in pain person too, mm -hmm. and that they didn't do this to you? Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing in breaking that victim mentality is when you see yourself that way, and when you see the, your partner that way, you start to understand, nobody did this to me. Mm -hmm. I'm Absolutely. doing my best yeah, you're doing your best. Bam, we had a collision. It was horrible, but this wasn't about me. It was about you and you. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I do this thing with couples where I pull them together and basically I do this, this comprehensive analysis of how they both function subconsciously. And mm -hmm. then we share the data. And yeah. when a person's able to say, oh, I see that you drink and you take pills when you're feeling insecure and you're afraid. Yeah. Because of the trauma. When we in partnership can understand the traumatic and painful and difficult and wounding experiences of the people that we love, we realize that it has nothing to do with us. Nope. Let me give you an example. When nope. Angel and I were moving to Denver, I did a calculation and said, we need to sell all of our furniture and move. It'll be cheaper. He went into a fear response and I came back. I say, what's that all about? Well, what that was really about was that furniture meant something different to him because he didn't have it yeah. when he was younger. 
right? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I think that the best thing a person can do is in the context of relationship, understand their own subconscious narratives, their wounds, their, their stories, their conditions, judgments, expectations, how they function. And in the context of relationship, understand that about your partner. And then the byproduct of that is I can allow you to show up. I can love you unconditionally and we can co-create something brilliant. Yes. Yes. And again, going to that subconscious because you didn't tell your partner, Angel, you know, that's a stupid belief and that that's not right. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It is his belief based on his past, just as your beliefs are your beliefs based on your past. So, yeah, it's that co-creation of how do we make this work, knowing where you stand is here and where I stand is there. That's right. Yeah. Let me leave you with one final thought. The act, we all pursue unconditional love. We talk about it. We write about it. We listen to people talk about it. But unconditional love is really the suspension of your opinions, your judgments, your conditions, your expectations for yourself. And when you're able to do that, you then can allow people to show up in their authentic essence. And as a result, what flourishes is unconditional love. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. You bet. Yeah. Listeners, I'm going to put all of Trey's information in the show notes so you can connect with him. I hope this has been illuminative to you. I hope you have a different understanding and appreciation, quite frankly, for yourself, for the person who betrayed you, whether you're together or not, just an appreciation and understanding for them as a human. Continue to look inwards co-create, whether it's co-creating with you and your own subconscious, co-creating with your conscious mind, or whether you are doing that with a partner. Have an amazing week. And as usual, always remember to flaunt exactly who you are, because who you are is always more than enough. Wait a minute. Before you go on, I've got something for you that you are going to love. It's the Sparkle After Betrayal Recovery Guide, a downloadable guide that shows you exactly how to untangle yourself from the past, powerfully reclaim your sexy, and re-choreograph your future one step at a time. The best part? It's free. And downloading it gives you access to our monthly support calls as well. What are you waiting for? Break out of the pain and get your sparkle on today. Go to nakedselfworth.com. That's www.nakedselfworth.com and get your guide today. Tune in next time to Flaunt, find your sparkle, and create a life you love after infidelity or betrayal with Laura Cheadle every Wednesday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on syndicated Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. Uncover the truth of what's possible for you on the other side of betrayal and develop the skills and strategies necessary to embrace the future and flourish today. Download your free Betrayal Recovery Toolkit at BetrayalRecoveryGuide.com.